song wrecks me every time. I just can't but think that without that way, without that promise, there is no hope. Without you, there is no hope. And as we talk today and as we've had a chance already to pray, Lord, I just pray for your hope to rise and be realized and recognized for the people in this place. And as I'm I'm singing, I'm looking at our prayer wall and the great I am sits above the prayers of the saints. So we have your hope and your promise. And we trust you, Lord. We trust you and we love you. And all God's people said, amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. We're going to do something a little different today. As I wipe tears from my eyes. Um, With the beginning of the Advent, we had done an Advent candle reading and the lighting. And so normally we would be standing to read our passage today. But I'm going to unpack the passage as we go So I'm glad you're here. My name is Jeff Dawkins, and I have the privilege to serve as one of the elders. And I'll be talking about this first Advent week of hope. If you have in your bulletin the talking points, turn them up on the other side here. You can see on the back it says, how have you had your hope blocked through the years? And so that's the first question. I already heard some, oh, ah. And probably, if you're like me, you can think just of this week that you've had your hope blocked. But I want to hear, how are some things in your life blocked hope through the years? What are they? Failure. Yeah. Failure. It's a hope stealer, right? What else? Ouch. Obviously, one of the five Ds the enemy uses so effectively, doubt, failure. What else? Grief. What did you say? Disappointment. These things that draw us into positions where we take our eyes off the Savior and forget the promised hope that we have had, right? And it's so easy. I just came through a time that I I, I reached out to my brothers in the church family where I was going through some serious attacks. I was talking about it last time I was up here. And when I put my eyes back on the hope that's in Jesus Christ, he pulled me through it. He didn't remove it. He just got me seeing him. So on the first day of Advent, we're going to look through the words in John. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand, someone gets you a Bible, you keep it. But we're going to be in John, so if you want to start making your way there, we're going to be in John 1. And the passage today that I'm going to speak through is verses 35 through 51. But we're going to see how God's hope was always available to his people and how we can now live remembering that truth. And we're going to do so... Focusing on our main thought, our, our training thought. Where in the world can we find our hope? Where in the world can we find our hope? And I will tell you that I love what the Price family shared in the Advent reading, but they gave away the answer. So if you can just bear with me for the next five or six hours while I unpack this. The answer is Jesus. There we go. But let me unpack what Scripture says as what Sean and Tina and the kids read so eloquently proclaimed. We have three main training ideas here that will bring us to this thought. We're going to talk about the hope that was promised in the first couple verses. Then we'll talk about the hope that was presented in the midsection. And near the end of the section, I'll talk about the hope that was proclaimed. So with that, hopefully you're in 
your Bibles in the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. And I want to open up with this idea of the hope that was promised in verse 35 and 36. And I'm going to read this. Again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So, who makes the statement? John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, this is the same John who said in verse 7, He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was purposed, as we are, to point people to Jesus. It's on the back of our church. It says, You shall be my witnesses. We got to practice praying with each other. We testify to the light. And that's exactly what John was doing. And if you follow from verse 7 into verse 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then again, as we read in verse 35, he's with his disciples. He sees Jesus again. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God. So why do I spend time on this and why is this so significant? John is using that phrase, the Lamb of God, to proclaim to the Jewish people the history that they all would know. And I want to explain this to you. In Exodus 12, for you Old Testament type people, right, the Passover took place. In the Passover, they would sacrifice a lamb. That was the sacrifice to pass over the judgment that was coming. Uh, in Isaiah 53, we see examples of the suffering servant like a sheep silent before his shears. The lamb was sacrificed daily in the temple. We see examples in Leviticus and in Exodus. And it says, the Exodus, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay a young bull before the Lord and Aaron's son, the priest, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood on the tabernacle. The lamb is what Abraham caught in the thicket when God saved his hand from killing his son. So all of these are just snippets of the promise that John, when he says, behold the Lamb of God, the people would have understood that. But we're not done yet. So I want to take a minute here and I'll help highlight something for you people that just finished the Old Testament survey. You may recognize this color chart, right? Our Old Testament timeline. The reason that John is going to draw upon some of these words that he uses, behold the Lamb of God, is because of the history. Our history and our experiences let us see what John was talking about, failures and success. And so the history that I'm going to give you, a brief run-through of this Old Testament, we were told to do it in the Old Testament class in two minutes, maybe a little longer. And for those of you taking notes, you cannot use this for the final that we're bringing in. So that's okay. But by knowing God's work and knowing his history, we can start trusting some of these promises. So let's just talk about some key things. In Genesis 3.15, it's the first gospel. And the Lord says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you should bruise him on the heel. Then in Genesis 12.1-3, there's the promise to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house to a land which I'll show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we continue in Exodus 34. The Lord said to him, this is the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. We have examples in Ruth. We have examples in the line of David, in Solomon. 
We see in 931 when Solomon dies and the kingdom divides Israel and Judah, we see what happens when God uses his prophets to his people to remind them of what's coming. We see in 722 BC approximately four, to approximately 444 BC, God's people were preserved. They were taken into captivity. They were taught to believe different things and then they held fast and the remnant came back and through people like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, and prophets, we see what happens. And as we reach the end of that period of time in Nehemiah that ushers in a 400-year period known as the silent years. And then the truth comes to pass that we see in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. I'm going to read this. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoptions as sons. People, that's the stage that's set. And so when John says, behold, the Lamb of God, he is using Old Testament language for New Testament promise revealed in front of people. And as Doug said, with the first advent, people missed it. They're missing it again. And John was called to testify to the light as we are. And how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? This is the background that's set as Jesus enters the world. The people had corrupted their pursuit of righteousness. They corrupted their promise of history. And they wanted a savior from Roman rule. What they got was the savior from sin. Amen. Amen, exactly. So turn over to your second talking point. I want to spend a little bit of time on this. You contributed to the discussion when I asked, what were some things in your history blocking your hope? The second talking point. Have you forgotten the promise that God made to you? All through the Old Testament, we saw it. To never leave you, to never forsake you. This means that he never gives up on you, even when you give up on yourself in grief, in pain, in sorrow, in doubt, depression, despair, discouragement, and discontentment. So, church, what are some ways that we can remember the hope, we can remember the promise, and we can strengthen our hope? What are some ways? We got tables full of people saying, read the word of God. I will never say that's a wrong answer, right? That's a good thing. Read the word of God. What else? Thank you. For those of you who couldn't hear, he said, take God's word and hide it in your heart so that when you are in times of stress and struggle, you already have God tugging at these verses. The Bible says in Psalm 119.11, your word, I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. Can you trust that promise? Because the Bible is full of yes answers to that promise. It's also full of stories of men and women like you and I that walked 
with some doubt and some cloudiness, but God always brought his people back. And he's here to bring you back too. And this is not, let's be real clear, this is not a prosperity message I'm giving you today. I am not telling you that God's promise for his people and hope is that you will not have trials and tribulation. In fact, Doug, in our calling passage, read in Romans 5 that the trials, the tribulations, develop perseverance and then lead us to the promise of hope. And that's where we need to be. So, church, when you find yourself in the middle, like when we got up and prayed for people, when you find yourself struggling, you need to reach out. Call me. My phone's on day and night for a little bit longer. Call me. Call somebody. Better yet, take a minute and get up. When you're stirred by God's moving in your heart, get up and spend time with him. He is waiting for you. He's not going to turn off his phone. That is the promise that we're given. So we see that God's hope. Go ahead. Doug has one. Go ahead. Well, I just, um, your map, the Old Testament map, maybe think about like, like what, the, what they did a, great, a good job of when they were doing, when they meaning God's people, when they were doing well, was setting up spiritual markers. So here, mm. here are places where God has shown himself strong in my life so that I can point back to those. Because you can start to, you can really start to doubt his word and doubt his promises. It's it's almost it's harder for us to doubt our, and I know we don't like to use this word, but we to doubt our experience to say, but I I saw God show up here in my life, right? And and he isn't going to leave me or forsake me like your question says. <coughs> yeah, that's great. To remember those things. So we see examples. What Doug was saying for those of you in the back that may not have here, we set up markers in our lives. So we see real-life examples of things that happen. I know, and he didn't say it, but I know for a fact that they have, by a tree, they have rocks with different words and promises that every time it happens, they put this on the rock of salvation. They can say this happened. And I would encourage you, if you and your family don't have a tradition with something like that where you can point to, here is where this happened. Guys, here is where this took place. If you want to see that happen, start journaling. And then guess what? When you journal, don't do uh, 15 and a half years of journaling and then never go back to the first when you started. I did that little journey a couple months ago when I was really, really just being torn up with what God had in my life. And I saw the things that God had put me through back then, he was faithful to deliver in different seasons. And it never came when I was like, Lord, I'm feeling great, just bring it. He's like, okay, cool. God is not our vending machine. We have the hope because we spend time with him and we learn about him. And he reveals, he's waiting to reveal his character to us. His character is good. And we don't even have the right words to describe that. But I can tell you that when you reflect back on the things that God has done in your life, as Doug said, all of a sudden things start changing. You recognize that, as my brother said to me during my time, that the seasons of struggle and trials become farther apart and they last a shorter amount of time because I more quickly can remember whose I am. And then in that truth, I know who I am. And that's where John is moving us to. And so Jesus now moving into our second point, we see that God's hope was promised through that history to his people. And now we can see how God's son just ignites the hope that he presented. And that's our second point. So the majority of this section here is going to be talked about here through this second point. 
verses 37 to 49. And I'm going to read this, so follow along with me. The two disciples heard him speak. I'm in John 1 again. And they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Well, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So there are many things that are just, they just confound your understanding when you look at what Jesus did here. And they, as much as they confused me, they confused his disciples, but he didn't leave them confused. Because this part of the story, the focus is not on the people. This is going to be on God's glory. And so let's take another filter. Let's look back again at this through the filter of God's glory. Jesus had a plan that he used and he laid out. When I read this, the Spirit really led me to look at these five different areas. Now, we're not getting into all of the, the Hebrew on this, but there's this thing called um, the, a chiastic phrase where the, the Hebrews, they would wrap up their main point in the middle of the messages. So the side points on the bookends would move towards the middle, and that middle point was the highlighted point that they wanted to make, right? But listen to what I see here. In verse 39, we see phrases like, come and see. In verse 41, we see, we have found the Messiah. In verse 43, follow me. In verse 45, we found him. And in verse 46, come and see. Do you see what happened? He starts with come and see. And then we found him. And the main point is to follow him. It was for Jesus then. It is for us now. Follow him. We find our hope when we come and see, when we find him, and then when we follow him. I saw this quote from this great Puritan preacher, John Bunyan, who said, As your faith is, such your hope will be. Hope is never ill when faith is well, nor strong if faith be weak. That's John Bunyan. Jesus laid the open invitation through that faith to the ones that he called to follow him. That's what he's pointing out. <clears throat> so consider our training thought, right? Where in the world can we find our hope? The answer, nowhere. There is nowhere in the world that we find our hope. There just isn't. And yet, don't we, don't we try to make it that way? 
What are some places that we try to find our hope in this world? Money. Yeah. Money. How about titles? Who said that? Relationships. Power. Do you guys see? Like, we could probably all just around the room say, these are the things that I've seen in my life or other people's lives that have drawn them into believing, oh, no, this is my hope. This is good. But it always fails you. It always disappoints you. Those of us who have the privilege to uh, have walked through some of these situations and then be smacked right in the face with the reality of God's plan, right? As my brother Mo's laughing, you know, I mean, you put your hope in a title, you put your hope in being a police officer, and all of a sudden, you know, the Twin Towers crash and fall on you. And all of a sudden, God made a, a, a change, didn't he, Mo? He made a change. And the man who was an enemy of God in that day is a friend of God and a brother to Jesus today. That's hope, right? So if we believe that the world brings us fear of people, anxiety, uh, depression about money, if we believe that we should be following Jesus second by second, my question to you is what are we doing about it? So go to your third talking point. On the back, flip your notes over and read along with me. I just want you to be a little more reflective on this. Between you and God, okay, what hope-blinding things has the world distracted you with this year? On this Thanksgiving weekend, can you see and can you find your hope in Jesus again in gratitude for the everything in your life? Because that's really the issue. Because listen, if not us as Christians, who has hope? If not us as Christians, who? If, if not now, in this season, in this time we walk in Advent, then when would we ever take an opportunity to talk about the hope from the markers that have been set in the history of our lives? What do we see in the Bible? How do we tell other people, like Frank said, there are 2,000 people groups that don't have the ability to hear the word of God? What do we do about that? Somebody's got to tell them. Well, I want you to think about this, that if, if God's story revealed that hope was always promised for his people, right, and that Jesus revealed that he was the hope that was presented the entire time, this is going to bring us now to follow our third point. And our third training truth is hope that was proclaimed. The last two verses back in John 1, read along with me in verses 50 and 51. Jesus answered, now he's answering Nathanael. Remember, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answering the people, and he said to them, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So in this section, Jesus has everybody that's with him at the time He's just talking to them, and he's telling them as he's going and collecting them. Remember, this has been about a two- or three-day meet-and-greet as he's calling his disciples to follow him. And he tells them that the proclamation of hope that was seen in the ushering of heaven and earth is being with his Father. That's what he's telling them. You're going to see greater things. Now, the disciples, remember, because John the Baptist starts off with the Old Testament imagery, the disciples have been waiting about 700 years. The Jewish people waited. They knew. They see this. 
The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 66, 22, if you want to take a note, you can look back on it, but it says, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I shall make remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. That is a promise. And he is comparing our heredity, our inheritance with the coming of the everlasting kingdom of God. Do you get that? Do you you get that for a second? That what Isaiah is saying 700 years before Christ came is that there is a resiliency about heaven. There is an eternality about heaven. There is a God above and outside of time and everything. And he's saying, because you are his, you are there as well. So why do we fear? I'm not being flippant about that. I understand that it took Jesus three and a half years walking with his disciples so they could start believing that the hope of his return. And even then, they needed his spirit to be placed inside of them to understand it. You guys, when you are saved, at the moment of salvation, the Lord breathes his spirit inside of you. Do you you know what that means? That means that all the people in the history of ever, ever, are connected with you in that breath. And in that moment, as it says in Ezekiel, the Lord breathed into the dry bones and made them have life. You have life again. And if you have life, as we learn through Romans, no one can take it from you. Not one single person. Like I said in my prayer, the great I am stands above the prayers of the saints that we so desperately cling to in our moments of trials. He is already there. He's taken you through them. He's already seen the result. And he's saying, come and see. Just follow me. The greatest treasure that Jesus could give was his Father in heaven. That was it. That's the greatest treasure. I want to invite the, the music team back up as we start moving to bringing the message to a close. And the people that are preparing for communion can start in that process as well. John writes... Not John the Baptist. Disciple John writes in Revelation 21, two separate verses. Revelation 21, verse 2. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea is no more. And then in verse 4, he said, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall There be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So when we look at verse 51 in our passage and talks about the ascending and descending of the angels of God on the Son of Man, what does that look like? What could it ever always look like but being in the presence of Jesus? It it looks like the glory of creation seen through the life of Christ. I'm going to leave you with this quote, this prophet Micah said, Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. This is what Brian Tootin was talking about when he talked about hope. This is the hope worth having. This is not hope that says, I wonder if the God of my life will fulfill his promises. This is the hope that says, I know my God and my Redeemer lives inside of me and my God has promised 
that he will be with me, that he will never forsake me. And because I believe that, without doubt, I have hope. Can you have hope? The answer is yes. And although it took me a little longer, I go right back to what the Price family said. There is hope found in this Advent season only through Jesus. He's holding us by our hands. Do you get it? Like little kids, right? Like little kids trying to walk for the first time, saying, keep your eyes on me and you'll be safe. You will be. Because, guys, we find our safety and our purpose and our fulfillment and our hope by seeing and trusting and following Jesus. Hope in Christ is the entire message of the Bible and it's why we enter church even today. That's just it. The message of the Bible is God's love letter to me and to you and to people that have never heard about him, that don't know about the history and they can't believe in the promise. But guess what? When we tell them about this and we show them our lives as markers in the history, then they see the promise lived out. Then they can believe in the reality that the cancer that's going to take my body is not going to take my soul. The bankruptcy that takes my house doesn't take away my freedom. The addiction that plagued me will do so no more. It's that promise and that hope that Jesus died on a cross to give us. Pray with me. Father God, thank you that your mercy looks upon a people that you knew from time past would always walk away. And your grace says, even with that, I love you anyway, and I'll just take it. I will take it and bring you back to me. Lord, we don't know what to do in these times when there's doubt and anxiety and depression and fear. But we know who you are. And you said, trust and follow me. So Lord, I pray that for our church, that we would just remember when our mind talks to us more than anyone else on the planet and, and when the world presses in and we feel the weight of the pain of the sin around us, when we feel that, Lord, may we trust in the promises that say, I've hid your word in my heart that I no longer, no longer will I sin against you. Thank you for loving us in this moment and in the next moment. Lord, we give our lives to you and I offer up this time and all God's people said, amen.